Hey, Anna. Hey, Mike. So you know that new app for my iPhone called Doghood that you're telling me about? Yes, yes. Well, it's free, and so I've downloaded it because I'm cheap that way. And it's really, really cool. Actually, everything you told me about it was really cool. I'm so pleased. No, it's fun, Doghood. I think it's like a club where you network with your local dog community. And, you know, you learn things, you share views, you catch up on the gossip, get recommendations, take in loads of extra advice, but meet fun, like-minded people. And that goes for your dogs too. Exactly, exactly. So if you, not just people that you meet on the heath or when you're walking, but people around, as uh, you say, your area, you might have some advice about a new vet, might be independent or some behavior things. And I was thinking about, I was following an account called Debbie Harry, spelled H-A-I-R-Y. I know you love Debbie Harry, but not that one. And they were talking about, they did a genetic breakdown of their dog and they thought it was like a Chihuahua, but it's like 30% Pekingese, 18% Chihuahua, 14% Shih Tzu, 5% Tibetan Mastiff, and 4% Japanese Chin. And it's come from China, this dog. So I'm thinking about springing for sort of a genetic breakdown of, of Billy because he's a partial Russell Terrier, but we want to know how much is Parson and how much is Russell. Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's important, you know, because it helps behaviorally when you know what, what your dog's made up of. If it is a crossbreed, then you can understand your dog better and tailor activities and interesting games for that particular breed of dog. So it's yeah. a great idea, but it's great because it's free and it's new and it's called Doghood. That's doghood.com. And you can look for all sorts of things. They've got advice on food, training, health, lost dogs. They've got a section. There's a section called poop, which I know you had something to do with, um, grooming. So anything that's dog related in your local area, you can find on this app. It's really, really cool. That's Doghood. Doghood. Find it on the app store and it's just for iphones at the minute but not for much longer i'm anna webb welcome to a dog's life hey mr binks did you know that your chews cost almost the same amount as Prudence's big chews. And bearing in mind you are a third of Prudence's weight, I do find that a bit strange. Anyway, we're jumping on Zoom now to chat to vet and environmentalist Andrew Prentice about why sustainability in pets could be taxing the smaller dog. Andrew Prentice, gosh, it's so great that you've come back on A Dog's Life. <laughs> it's lovely to be back. It's lovely to be back. Well, it's a really great time, I think, to be talking about sustainability in the world of dogs, only because yesterday it was announced that 2023 has officially been the hottest ever on record by quite a bit. It has. September, yeah, September was a really, uh, I mean, shockingly high, actually. Um, if, you, if, you look at, if you look at the graphs, looking at the temperatures throughout the time of year, this year is a, is a record. It's really very, very worrying. It's not just a small change. It's a very significant change. So I think, you know, sustainability has been getting higher on the agenda for everybody but actually an awful lot of people are still ignoring it really um and it is it's the issue of our age uh it's it's if we've got to get this right otherwise it's it's game over 
Um, so it's crucially important that we all take sustainability extremely important. And, well, pets are part of the story. Well, they are. I mean, there was a book years ago, I think it was called it's time to eat the dog, not literally, I hasten to add, but it was comparing how a Labrador is actually as damaging, if you like, to the planet as a a four by four full of fuel that could drive hundreds of miles in its lifetime. So it's a four by four that you've got Mm. in the back of your car. Yeah, yeah. It's quite difficult. Actually, if you want to try and you know, we talk in terms of carbon footprint, you know, what's the how many greenhouse gases do we make? What sort of carbon dioxide are we responsible for? And, and for people in the UK, the average is written to be about seven tons. So seven tons of carbon dioxide equivalent every year is, is the amount of resources that we use. And And so one of the questions is, well, what is it for a dog? You know, mm. how much is a dog? We, we think for a horse, it's about a ton. Um, dogs vary so enormously in size. I and mean, you've got some little tiddlers that only weigh a kilo and you've got the great big stonkers are up to sort of 60, 70 kilos. So oh, yes. it's, it's one of the very few species where you've got such an enormous variation in, in, in body weight. Um, that is interesting, isn't it? This variation in size. Yeah. Um, because, of course, it's true, a small dog will eat less, of course, than a large Irish wolfhound. A chihuahua yeah. will eat less than an Irish wolfhound. They're the two extremes, the largest breed of dog and the smallest. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, there are some, there are some figures out there. You know, somebody, they've tried to figure out, well, what, what proportion of the meat that is produced by agriculture, what proportion of it is actually ends up being eaten by pets? Bottom line is we're not really sure, but it could be as much as a quarter, which is an incredible figure. But because both cats and dogs, they're carnivores, under most circumstances, they eat a a meat-rich diet. Um, They eat a lot. They do. And it's at at a time when our farming is increasingly under pressure, the environment is under pressure, we've got a growing human population that's probably going to go up another 20, 30, 35% in the next generation or so we've got to produce a lot of food to feed people and then in this country we have what nearly 25 million pets uh so it's it's part of the equation when we're thinking about our own sustainability everybody immediately thinks about light bulbs and flying and all the rest of it but actually food is a big part of our environmental impact and we do need to think about that for our pets as well yeah, no, absolutely. But, you know, Andrew, you can't be suggesting that dogs and cats become vegans. <laughs> well, funny you should mention that, Anna. <laughs> um, there has been some, there has been a publication very recently looking at this and trying to make the case and suggesting that vegan pets actually live longer than meat-eating pets. Now, that's going through quite a lot of scientific scrutiny just at the moment. Um, cats particularly have always been um, identified as being what's called an obligate carnivore and and animals that absolutely need to eat meat Um, but uh, you know we need to look more at these kind of issues I mean the reality is you can you can feed more more people on 10 hectares of land if they're vegetarian than if they're meat eaters And, and if the same can apply to pets well we need do need to think about that but it runs contrary to an awful lot of what we've understood all these years, which is, you know, these are carnivorous animals. 
Yes, well, I think I think we do sort of look at basic biology and physiology <laughs> and cats and dogs, as you say, you know, they're carnivores, they're, they're on four legs, unlike us, we're omnivores, you know, and all of that. And they, yeah. they do need to eat a lot of animal fat and animal protein, but that's, that's sort of a, a side issue, I feel, at the moment. There's so much else related to pets that I think we should also think about because food, if you are what you eat... And if good nutrition keeps you well, as Hippocrates said, you know, let medicine be thy food and food be thy medicine. Yeah. You know, through good nutrition for your pet, you know, you can minimize costly, unsustainable trips to the vet, perhaps. Yeah. And and just, you know, keep life simple, a bit like, you know, in the olden days on your little small holding where you're using scraps and what the humans didn't eat to feed the dogs. And a lot of the meat production, sure, I think dogs do eat 20% of the meat produced globally. Yeah. I actually thought when I learned that, that was a small amount. I was so expecting that to be more. But you've got to oh, remember, they're yeah. not eating fillet steak as much as they probably would love to. Yeah. The humans are eating those bits of the meat. And well, yes. In general, yes. And, and certainly a significant part of the, uh, of the meat component in pet foods comes from offcuts and offal in the bits that, that people wouldn't eat. But there is quite a vogue now. It's quite fashionable and trendy, you know, to be having, you know, your your pet foods that come from prime cuts or from chicken breast or from, you know, quite posh bits of meat. And, and I think, well, we need to care. Actually, I'm, I, the, the British Veterinary Association um, is actually has got a working group looking at companion animal feeding. So pet feeding now. And I actually sit on that group. And it's quite an interesting interesting story unfolding really because the purpose of this of this group is to try and examine what's actually going on in the pet food industry are these diets correct are they appropriate what is the difference between the dry foods the wet foods the raw foods the vegetarian diets should they, should we be feeding them insect based diets what about laboratory produced meat you know we're living in a time where uh food culture is changing and so we're in the process of trying to figure out what's going to be the what what are the appropriate diets what's the acceptable diets and part of that is going to be what's what is a sustainable diet if we're if we're going to carry on having you know 11 12 million dogs in this country and you, we have to balance all of this and all the huge benefits that dogs and cats actually bring humans, Absolutely. you know, in terms yes. of companionship, the, yes. who, you know, are we going to invent robots to guide the blind? I <laughs> mean, where, <laughs> where, where do you think we'll be, you know, oh, yeah. this time yeah. I, I dread to think, but yeah. the thing is, you know, we're living in the here and now. Interestingly, you spoke about insects because I was up at the um, Pat show this week up, yeah. and I met this really interesting Dutch guy. I'm going to plug him. He is going to come and do a podcast. So his firm is called ProTix, T-I-X. And yeah. it's um, all about growing larvae yes. as a protein source, not to replace meats. This was so interesting to me. But he said, Anna, think of it as another novel protein source. Yeah. And I'm like, that is actually interesting. But I said, look, you know, most insect foods are processed to an inch of their life, you know, through the extrusion process, which cannot be good for the planet, Andrew, because it uses a huge amount of heat, heat extrusion. So yeah. you have, I suppose, got to think of the types of food as processing 
you know, augment the the carbon footprint. You know, I would assume it does, but I, I, I don't know. But anyway, so how about real larvae that you buy, like in a patty thing that gets mixed? Yeah. Mixed with other meats. So, yeah. you you yeah. know, you might have a bit of beef uh, mixed with a little bit of chicken, nice classic mixer, and then a bit of insect larvae to add another protein source. Add a bit of protein, yeah. Sol- soldier fly larvae are the classic, aren't they? The, and it's been, I mean, there already are uh, commercial diets on the market in the, in the UK that are that are based on on insect insect uh, protein. Um, and of course, I mean, there are people elsewhere in the world. There are humans who eat insects as well. I mean, it's not such a it's not such a strange concept. I mean, a, a locust is a bit like a aerial shrimp, isn't it? Really, I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty much the same. So. <laughs> locust, gosh, <laughs> in the Bible, isn't it something? But but yeah, no, you know, it's so true. And actually, dingoes, the Australian outback, yeah. you know, wild dogs, they were studied, and you know, some stomachs were cut open. I can't bear all that side of things, but you know, they cut up some, and they found loads of beetles in there. You know, yeah. and well, they've been. There you go. So I think insects, yes, but plant total plant stuff. You know me, I'll I'll always be a little bit skeptical of that. But it's other stuff, isn't it? It's like where your dogs get their toys. And of course, bigger dogs need bigger toys than yes. small dogs. So if we're going into this small, big comparison, you know, what are your thoughts for future sizes of dogs? Well, it's funny. Yes, I've I've been hearing a bit more discussion of this just recently, actually, and and the the question being, you know, is it sustainable to have a really big dog? You know, big dogs used to have a function. They were when back in the day, all dogs were working dogs. They had a role, and they were there for protection, or they were there for animal control, or or whatever it was. And that's kind of changed now. The huge majority of dogs in this country, anyway, are pets. And they have their their work, their job, if you like, is looking after our mental and psychological health and making yeah. sure we get exercise, giving us the opportunity to talk to other people, you know, a sense of of, of balance and communication in our lives. Um, but it's still a bit of a luxury. So with my sustainability hat on, I wouldn't be surprised if over the next decades we find that average dog sizes drops and that more we're seeing more and more people with smaller dogs rather than the really big giant ones. Um, and it's probably what, you know, like it or not, that's probably the way it's just going to have to go. Um, if, if we look at, um, the, the, there's, a, there's a concept called the ecological footprint. And an ecological footprint is it's a measure of the environmental impact of a person or a country expressed as the surface area of the country. So example, so you know, how much land do we actually need to produce the resources that I use and the waste I produce? And for the UK, actually, we need a country that's about two and a half times the size of the UK to produce enough food for us all and all the resources and get rid of all the waste. And that's a lot. It's too much, two and a half times. We've only got one UK. So we do have to find ways of reducing our footprint. Mm. And smaller pets is probably one of the ways that we need to certainly think about. I mean, it's not the biggest one. Don't get me wrong. The huge ones are about energy use and about transport uh, and about the buildings we live in and, and all those things. But, you know, you've got to start somewhere. And every little helps. So I think there will be a move towards smaller dogs in the years to come i think it's inevitable 
And you mentioned, you know, it's, it's partly about food, but of course it is. You know, that's only a part of our expenditure. Every time we spend something, we create an environmental impact, you know, and it could be clothes, it could be collars, it leads, it's toys, it's treats. It's, you know, there's a whole list of stuff. And um, But what about business attached to it, you see? This is where, for me, perhaps it all falls over a little bit because yeah. a, a lot of, you know, accessory firms in the pet world thrive on making a huge range of different sizes and of course yeah. a coat for a great dane is going to use more fabric and take more time yeah. to make than a coat for your little english toy terrier for example yeah. so yeah. if everyone goes for smaller dogs i suppose maybe there'd be more smaller dogs so the companies would still be satisfied from a you know capitalist point of view of making money <laughs> because no there was this it, it just interested me there was a piece last week in the telegraph and it was called terrier tax and yeah, i actually hadn't yes, thought of this and it was such a good piece so having a small dog of course i'm used to buying a mr bink size chew and a prudent size chew prudent yes. size chews can be quite a lot actually i must say because they are the biggest so around about 12 pounds 50 but then to buy as the similar chew binks's size that is still about eight pounds but the difference in the size of the chew I won't name the type of chew is very big the difference so there's a lot less of it for Mr Binks I don't know so what's going on there Andrew what's uh, going on well several several things there I mean yes it may well be that there is this so-called terrier tax you know that that they feel that weight for weight they can charge more for smaller products but don't forget if you think of the the cost of something you buy in the shop, part of it is about the raw materials, the ingredients that go into it. And obviously, a smaller chew has less ingredients than a bigger chew. But I, um, the process of manufacturing, actually, and the energy consumption, the machinery, and so on and so forth, is not actually that different. The amount of time, the amount of labour, and the amount of packaging and things like that, it's a little bit different, but it's not dramatically different. So some of the costs are going to be the same for a, for a small or a medium-sized chew, or for a medium as opposed to a large one. Some of the costs will be the same. But yeah, you're right, on a, on a weight-for-weight basis, small stuff is often more expensive. It is. But, you know, you go to a, go to the pub and buy half a pint of beer. It's generally a bit more than half the cost of a pint of beer. Oh, yeah. It's not it's just a terrier tax. It's the, half <laughs> pint, it's the half pint drinker's tax. It's unfair. <laughs> <laughs> it will, well, it, well I, I suppose as well, if we're thinking dogs are a luxury through the pandemic, everyone's lives have changed and the cost of living crisis we're, you know, immersed yeah. in uh, at the moment, then it, it would make sense, you know, to have a smaller dog, I I would have thought, from a feeding yeah. perspective and, and chewing perspective and collars are, do cost less the size for Mr Binks than they do for Prudence, which yeah. I think is absolutely fair enough, even though actually the same manufacturer goes in. I know because we have these lovely handmade collars from Kensal Rise and yet Prudence's collar is like three times more than Mr Binks's so yeah, yeah because there's a, a particular well, bespoke proof but it's particularly wide a lot of leather used again a byproduct that's being recycled to balance yeah. the sustainable thing from meat you know you have to think of things like that yeah of course I mean the, the other element in in commercial pricing for anything it's all about a demand as well isn't it you know, if there's if there's a lot of demand, then unfortunately that tends to put the prices up. That's you know, it's 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 a bit like these 
airlines that do you know flights as you get closer to the flight date the price goes up because people are more more you know want to buy the you know, have an increased demand for the flight um if people are going to buy it the price goes up and things that are not being bought well maybe the price comes down to get rid of them and it's 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 capitalism at work isn't it Mm, yeah, no, I know. And that's the thing maybe we need for absolute sustainability to occur. A bit of a rain check on capitalism, Andrew. What do you think of that? Oh, going a bit off topic now, Anna. Blimey. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, could, you, you know, because you could say that the world of dogs has exploded so much that, you know, everyone's trying to earn money out of dogs. I just find... Yeah. Find it all a bit weird, you know, the the way that you know, because people don't walk their own dogs every day anymore. I mean, I do, but I'm 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 weird, clearly. Um, <laughs> so you know, you, you never let it be for, said, Anna. No, never, never let it be said. So you know, people pay for a dog walker, they pay for a yeah. groomer, pay for somebody to clip their nails. Obviously, you have your your, your vet bills included, and you know, added to all of this, and so on. So it, yeah. So it's creating a whole a whole range of parallel industries as well, isn't it? I mean, it's it's. It's keeping people working. It is the dog groomers, the dog walkers, the trainers, the you know the nutritionists, and it's you no, know, it's not. Um, yeah, there's a whole range of other of other uh, professions, if you like, which are supported by by pet ownership. But, yeah, so, I know, yeah. and I just feel you know, I think people if they did a little bit more for their dog, you know, themselves, like bathe their dog, for example, yeah. they could perhaps have a bit more budget for things like training needs or behaviour issues that suddenly might crop up and might need some help, or indeed looking at optimising health with nutrition and, you know, speaking to a nutritionist who may say something completely opposite to what their vet has told them, Andrew. I'm, I'm being cheeky now. <laughs> 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 couldn't possibly comment <laughs> no couldn't possibly possibly no 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 yeah so it is it's uh it's a balance but then you know for many people dogs are their family so as you say for me I think and kind of on a positive note that dogs bring us so much joy when it's done properly you know well, there is nothing like man's best friend no exactly and there is you know I think <sighs> Going back to your, your question about capitalism, I mean, we are very much focused on on economic growth and, and profit and all these kind of things in society. And, and I think there is a very good argument for saying that's leading us up a particularly nasty garden path. And we should be focusing more on well-being and welfare in all those respects. And that these things should be more important to us as a species than big piles of cash you know we've all got to eat we've all got to you know have income but we should be focusing on well-being and i do think there's no there's no doubt in my mind that pet ownership can be a big contribution to that and that's a big positive that's a big plus you know uh, just for, for all the benefits of companionship and exercise and communication and all, and all these things um it's not all about money it really isn't and there is a there is a you know, there is an economic cost of healthcare. You know, healthcare does have a big economic impact, but there's a big there's a big cost of ill health too. You know, and so trying to keep having pets has a huge benefit to society, and um, but keeping them healthy is pretty important too. 
We need to be careful about that. And diet is diet's a part of that. As you say, you we are what we eat. And um we do need to get that right. On a human level too, you know, you are what you eat. Yeah. Absolutely. On a human level as well. But yes, and you're right, there's so many studies out there that I think, you know, elderly people with a dog, uh, who own a dog, go to the, I was going to say go to the vet for a minute, go, go to their doctor. Is yeah. it 70% less than elderly people who, who don't have a pet, particularly uh, dogs, you know, because yeah. dogs obviously get you out. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's a staggering statistic. Yeah, that is, it is. It's a remarkable statistic. And um, and that, that that's that's one way of offsetting the sort of slightly gloomy figure we were saying that you know dogs are eating cats and dogs are eating somewhere between a quarter and fifth of all the meat we produce. Oh my goodness, you can't afford that. Well, it's it's not all downside. It's not all downside. There is that. If those people with pets are going to the doctor less, then that's reducing the load on the health service, and that in itself is a massive reduction in the the environmental impact of healthcare which is very significant yeah absolutely but and the mental health benefits of course yeah. as well in reducing loneliness and anxiety of course that's what dogs in particular do so well they're just yeah. the natural socialites that you know yeah. keep keep you integrated and feel in the present and with yeah. other like-minded people yeah and at a time when there are more and more people living on their own um that sort of the isolation or the potential for isolation that goes with that um pets are ever more important yeah no i get that absolutely oh well andrew have you got another dog in your life yet no i haven't to be honest i am so ridiculously busy at the moment i've barely got time to keep breathing let alone let alone take on more <laughs> all things maybe one day maybe one day yeah not just, yeah not just, no they need, they do need time. And and it is, you know, this is the thing. Dogs are a massive commitment. I think a lot of people have underestimated the commitment that is a dog. That's another conversation. But It is another conversation. But actually, you mentioned earlier on the pandemic puppies. You know, during lockdown, there was this apparent huge surge in, in pet ownership during that time. Completely understandable. You know, uh, everybody was locked up, couldn't go out. Uh, and there, there was a surge. And friends who are in practice now they do say that there's been a rise in the number of what we'd politely call naive pet owners so people who've never had a pet before and i mentioned this in the context of not of underestimating the commitment that it is in terms of time cost um realistic expectations of of what that the effect the impact on your life the pet is going to have and the responsibilities and from the vet profession's point of view actually sometimes slightly more unrealistic expectations of what actually can be done um, but that's beginning to settle down hopefully we're not going to be going into another lockdown anytime soon so uh, that will all settle down in due course yeah, yeah, it will. And hopefully, my other bugbear just to her is, you know, hopefully we can stop being able to buy dogs on the internet. I feel getting them delivered. It's yeah. utterly extraordinary. And it's great for a vacuum cleaner. Come on, bring it on. Who wants to go shopping for a vacuum cleaner? Buy one on the internet. I do yeah. that. But I'd yeah, never but buy a dog. You, you know, go what, you, you don't know what you're buying. You know what the backstory is. You really don't. And that's pretty important. I mean, just the same as for people, you know, those early weeks, uh, there it's very important. 
what the parents are like, what the home environment's like. You know, is it was it a calm, gentle, nurturing, kind environment, building confidence and self-esteem and all that? Or was it a fractured, traumatic background? Those first few weeks and months are extremely important, as you well know. Um, it's very hard to make a judgment on that when you buy something online. I know, I know. It's but hopefully, hopefully things will change. There's yeah. a big shake-up obviously at the moment with this impending Excel bully ban, and I think yeah. it's just raising awareness that we need more regulation, community, and funds channeled into dogs now because they are such a feature of our modern life. You know, it's really, you know, gosh, I mean, the Hackney Marshes once were deserted. They're not anymore, you know, which no. you know, is an example. So we, we need to, you know, recognise they're here to stay dogs now. People want them and, and we need to create um, a socioeconomic platform for everyone to get the right advice, get help, um, have third party services that are regulated more and 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 through a dog license scheme that works, you know, mirroring some of the Scandinavian yeah. countries, for example, that tend to get things right. Well, maybe we should regroup, Andrew, and um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about the new analysis on what, what type of foods are on the horizon. <laughs> that's, a, that's a process we're going through. It's going to be it's going to be a fair few months yet, but pro- during next year, at some point, we'll have a we'll have a report, and I'll be very happy to come and talk to you about that. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you, Andrew. Look forward to you coming back on. I look forward to it. Thanks a lot. That's our show, Mr Binks. What did you think? Yes, I agree with you. Good things come in small packages. And you're right, it is time for Woof of the Week. We all know it's true that you are what you eat, but also it might be true that you are as much as you eat. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, go on, rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts. It really makes a difference. Thanks again, of course, to Andrew Prentice for joining us today. And all the links are in the show notes. Thanks again to Mike, my producer, for all the music and production as ever. Find out more about him at Pod People UK. And for me, I'm just at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, you're right. We will be back in your feed next Sunday. So why don't you subscribe now? It's free and that way you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Bye.